Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Well, the results are in. The uh, runoff between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker occurred in Georgia earlier this week, and Raphael Warnock, a progressive liberal Democrat, won that race and will join the new Congress that will be convened in January of 2023. And as of this moment, that gives the Democrats like 51 votes in the Senate and um, maybe 49 for the Republicans. Although there is news that Kirsten Sinema, a senator from Arizona, is going to change her party affiliation so she will no longer be a Democrat, but will rather be a independent. And, uh, you know, we're not sure what that's going to do for the balance of power in the Senate. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter. I think where I want to go with this podcast is not to give you a whole bunch of political analysis. You can find that anywhere you want to Fox News, CNN, Real Clear Politics. I mean, you can listen to Glenn Beck, Ben Shapiro, Clay and Buck. I mean, you could listen to NPR or any other news organization that you want to for political analysis. The bottom line is this. While Republicans were expecting a bit of a red wave and to take victory in the political sphere, God had other plans for this nation. Now, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories or I don't even know if it's appropriate to call them conspiracy theories. I'm not going to discuss the reasons from a human perspective why maybe some candidates won certain races and other candidates won other races. But I think we need to look at this um, from a divine perspective. What What is God's perspective on why the country, the United States of America, is heading in the particular direction it's heading. Well, first of all, let's say this, that in the United States of America, it is now blatantly obvious, I mean, even a blind person could see, that the secularization of the nation has resulted in what is called by Paul and Romans a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is a mind that exalts evil and trashes that which is good and honorable and moral. A reprobate mind is a mind that creates moral standards that um, say that things that are evil are actually good, but things that are good are actually evil. And I'll give you an example of this uh, from Romans chapter 1, just a moment here. Okay, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, and, and all right, the version of the Bible that I'm using, the New American Standard, uses the word depraved, uh, depraved mind instead of reprobate mind, but the, the meaning of the word is the same, okay? The, the context of the word is the same. Here's what happens to a nation who rejects God. Here's what happens to individual people who reject God and who reject God's self-revelation. This is the ultimate result for them. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, 
evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You know, I think the first result, the first takeaway that we as Christians should have from the election of 2022 is that the worldview of the people who are voting in the United States of America is further anti-biblical than we initially imagined. Now, I'm not saying there aren't millions upon millions of people who believe in traditional Judeo-Christian values, uh, that God established a family, male and female, to have uh, to be, to be um, established through the union of marriage, and then for the purpose of having children and rearing them to be good, contributing members of society. Uh, there are millions and millions of people who would agree with the, the morality and the importance of a morality that is based on an objective truth, such as, you know, thou shalt not murder, or thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, although, you know, that one is somewhat debatable. And, and the, the bottom line is that even though there are millions of people who maybe still have some Judeo-Christian values, what we are seeing is that even more people, more than the millions of people who have this value, there are millions more people who do not share this value at all. And the value that they share is that they know the ordinance of God, but they reject it. And they also give hearty approval to those who reject the ordinance of God and practice evil and call it good. This is where we are living in the United States of America. This is a major shift. And, and I understand, you know, when I listen to my friends who are older, in their 50s, 60s, even 70s, and they say, man, this country has just gone off the deep end in terms of what it believes. Well, they have. And we've gone off the deep end because we we went down the slippery slope of approving some sins, of compromising in some areas. And what happened is the, the avalanche or the snowball of compromise, this is the better way to put it, the snowball of compromise started out at the top of the mountain as just a little tiny ball. Oh yeah, we'll let people practice sexuality the way that makes them feel good. Okay. Well, that snowball of compromise, and I don't even think it began with, uh, when, I, when I'm talking about people practicing sexuality, I'm not talking about LGBTQ type sexuality. I'm talking about the free sex and free love of the 1960s. Hey, let's divorce sex from its God-intended purpose and its God-intended place in marriage. Once you divorce sexual relationship from marriage, that opens the floodway, that opens the floodgate, I should say, to every person practicing uh, sexual desires and sexual pleasures any way they want to, because it's all about what makes me feel good. And so what I do with my... Um, what I do in the bedroom becomes the highest moral order for me. What makes me feel good becomes an issue of morality. You can't tell me what not to do because it makes me feel good. So we began 
50, 60 years ago by abandoning God's perspective on sexuality and the purpose for sexual intimacy. And once we did that, that was the tiny snowball on top of the mountain. And it has just grown bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to now we are at this point where if you don't affirm somebody's deviant sexual behavior, then you're a bigot or a hate monger. And what this, uh, what the results of this last election tells us is that we who are Christians and we who do not uh, affirm deviant sexual behaviors, we are now the outsiders looking in. We are no longer the majority trying to say, no, we, we hate the sin, but we love the sinner. No, we're the outsiders looking in. We can't put the genie back in the bottle. We can't um, stop up the dam now that the floodwaters have broken loose. God has given this nation over to a depraved mind, and that is the tenor of what is happening in America. And so that's, that's my number one takeaway from this election, that the worldview issue, the, the, the fall from Judeo-Christian values, the fall from a Judeo-Christian center, a way of thinking about the world, is farther than we thought. It's more advanced than we thought. Now, let me give you a silver lining, because this sounds really bad. The silver lining is this. People are wicked, wretched sinners, and they will find out that sin does not satisfy. And so I would suggest that from a gospel perspective, we might be entering one of the most fruitful eras of gospel ministry in the history of the United States. If the Lord should allow the United States to uh, be redeemed, and I don't mean that as a and saying that he's got some kind of plan for the United States in the end times. I'm just saying, as a nation, if the Lord wants to pro, uh, prevent our downfall, if he wants to um, not judge us, not bring a quick judgment upon us, we're now entering the realm where gospel witness may have more effect, and there may be actually a, a genuine um, return to biblical truth, a a re spiritual renewal that is born out in the United States because of the depravity and the contrast of depravity and what it leads to in terms of satisfaction compared to the riches of the gospel and what it leads to in terms of satisfaction. You know, we are living in the society that affirms everybody's sin and says, you can do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good. But I can't remember a time where suicide rates have been so high, where crime has been so high, where despite all the material blessings, everywhere you look, people are sad, distressed, they are unsatisfied, they are continually trying to go from one high to the next. This is a very difficult time in the history of the United States in terms of, let me just use a secular phrase, okay, mental health. This is a very difficult time in terms of mental health, to use a secular phrase. What I would say is that people are finding out that sin does not satisfy. As the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, describing Moses in verses 26 through 28, Moses chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. 
Did you catch that? Moses would rather endure ill treatment than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And that tells us something about sin. It satisfies for a quick minute. But man, once that minute's over, boy, the consequences can be lifelong. And you, 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 you're always trying to search for the next high. How am I going to get back there? How am I going to get back to doing what I want? How much hedonism is too much hedonism? And we are at that point in America. So if I could just give a silver lining about the worldview issue, it's distressing to know that we're living in a country that, in a general sense, is living and acting according to a reprobate mind, a mind opposed to God, promoting things that are contrary to the scriptures, to God's revealed truth. But the silver lining to that is this might be some of the most fertile soil that we've had to work with in nearly 50 years of gospel ministry in the United States. So what we need to do is pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction upon people so that we see conversions when we go out and preach the gospel. All right, so that's my, that's my number one takeaway of the, re- the election. I think it does reveal the real state of society in terms of our spiritual condition. We're far more depraved than we thought we were. But secondly, I wanted to say this. Secondly, we have to recognize as Christians that God himself and God alone is the builder and destroyer of the United States of America. Think about that. God himself is the builder and the destroyer of the United States of America. And if you go back to Daniel chapter 2, if you recall, Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was a a young man, maybe in his late teens or early 20s. Um, Daniel was a young man, and he was serving in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the ruler of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he asked for his royal uh, counselors, for the magicians, the astrologers, to interpret the dream but he wasn't going to tell them what it was. They had to tell him the dream, and none of them could do it. And Daniel and his friends heard about this uh, request of the king, and they prayed and asked Yahweh, and Yahweh answered their prayer by revealing to Daniel what the dream was and what the dream meant. So what was the dream? Okay, here's the dream, Daniel chapter uh, 2, verse 31. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. And that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze. Its legs were of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then... The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, Daniel was given the interpretation of this dream, and I'm not going to read all of the text of the interpretation, but I'm going to give you a little summary, all right? So the, the head of gold was... Babylon, uh, specifically King Nebuchadnezzar, and that was the most prominent kingdom of that era. And then after him was the king 
the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. That was represented by the uh, silver chest and arms. And then there was another kingdom, the Greeks, led by Alexander the Great, and they were the kingdom of bronze. And finally, there was a fourth kingdom, and we know this in history as the kingdom of Rome, but uh, the kingdom of Rome had a fatal flaw. It was, it was flawed. And because we have the advantage of looking back on history, we can see how Rome was flawed. They did have a republic. They did have what we would call a constitution and an order of operations. But Rome became so powerful and so wealthy that hedonism destroyed Rome. Hedonism and hubris destroyed Rome. And so Rome was a kingdom as strong as iron but brittle like clay because their morality was totally uh, shot. They had, they had no actual great compass for their moral reasonings. And this is towards the end of the kingdom, okay? Rome, Rome existed for a long time, hundreds of years. Obviously, in the, st- in the story in Daniel chapter 2, the stone cut out without human's hand is a representative of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God would come and crush all the other kingdoms of the earth. Now, why do I bring this story up, and what does it mean for America? I I don't think, I don't believe, okay, let me say it this way. I do not believe that America is mentioned in the prophetic scriptures. I don't find any of the Old Testament prophecies to be referring to the United States of America. And so the way that I'm using Daniel chapter 2 is strictly analogous, all right? The analogy is this. God raised each of those kingdoms up, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome to accomplish his purposes. And at the very end of the dream, the kingdom of God ultimately crushed and destroyed each of those kingdoms. Now, if you've read uh, Alva Alva J. McLean's book on the kingdom, the greatness of the kingdom, it's a fantastic work we would say that it was God's mediatorial kingdom that caused these other kingdoms to fall. The mediatorial kingdom is God's rule and reign from heaven right now, not visible on earth, but he has sovereign over the affairs of earth, and he raises up kings, he puts kings down, he raises up countries and nations, and he puts countries and nations down, and he does it all to direct history to a certain conclusion. All right, so it would be God's mediatorial kingdom that uh, saw to the overthrow of those other kingdoms. However, in this particular story of Daniel chapter 2, I do believe, all right, I do believe that there will be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth, and the rock represents that literal reign of Christ on earth. Again, This is some heady stuff, and I don't have time to unpack it in this particular episode. If you want maybe some more information on these particular issues or or this particular theology, uh, send me an email, and uh, I can work on developing some episodes that would explain this in further detail. The major point that I'm trying to make is that God raises kingdoms up, and God puts kingdoms down. And if God wants to destroy America, if God wants to put America down, what is the best way to do that? It's not going to be through uh, a military defeat. Despite our reduction in military capacity over the last 20 to 30 years, America is still the mightiest and most feared military nation on the planet. 
So I don't think the destruction of America is going to come initially through a military conquest. Rather, I think the destruction of America is going to come through an internal destabilization. And I, I believe that you can see this happening very clearly. Um, there are different groups on the left and the right of the political sphere who would be more than happy to go to war with their political opposites. Uh, right now, they are these various groups are demonizing one another. There seems to be no reconciliation possible from a human perspective. It seems to me that the only reconciliation that would be possible would be some type of internal civil war. Now, I don't want that to happen, and I hope it doesn't happen. I hope that's not a prophetic statement. I have young children. I don't really want to be involved in a civil war. But when you look at the current political and social climate, there are just some individuals and ways of thinking that seem to be totally incompatible with other ways of thinking. And the only resolution to that normally is through physical conflict. And whoever is the stronger will be the victor. So to make it very simple, my conclusion on this political cycle, this round of voting, is that because the worldview has shifted so far, we elected leaders who do not know God or honor God, nor do they want to be uh, held accountable to God or his standards. All right, because of this, if we want to use an analogy from the book of Daniel, another analogy, you could say the handwriting is on the wall for God to bring America down. The handwriting is there. The signs are there. Now, God could, in his sovereignty, choose to take the United States out as a political player, as a sovereign nation. He could choose to take the United States off the world stage. However, God could choose for this to be a moment where revival begins or spiritual renewal begins. When I read the Old Testament and I see how bad and how wicked Israel was, especially the southern kingdom. You know, they, they were the more faithful of the two kingdoms after the kingdom split. But when I see how wicked they were and how uh, gross and widespread their idolatry was, you would think, how could, how could God bring them back? But he did. Five times he did. He gave them a revival king on five different occasions that restored Israel. Now, I'm not saying that America is Israel. Don't be confused. I'm not saying that um, the covenant blessings and promises that were made to Israel are also made to the United States of America. All I'm saying is that God has done it in the past, and he could do it again. Now, I don't know what God's going to do. We should, however, as believers, pray that this current spiritual darkness that our country is living in will result in many opportunities to share the gospel and that the Holy Spirit would do the work that Jesus has sent him to do in convicting the world of sin and unrighteousness so that they might repent and trust in Christ as Savior. If there is any hope for America, it is a gospel renewal. It is a new uh, obedience to the truth of God's word as proclaimed by believers. So what do I do? Well, I'm going to pray and I'm going to preach. I'm going to pray that God will give me opportunities and I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is the real way that we are going to experience any type of 
nationwide revival or any type of nationwide return to true God-honoring biblical principles and standards of morality. That would, in all honesty, be a blessing for everybody. God doesn't give his laws to be um, petty or trite or so that you can't have fun. God gives his laws so that you can enjoy the best possible life living within the right parameters so that you can stay healthy, so that you can avoid the consequences of sin, so that you can um, experience spiritual growth. I mean, that's the purpose of God's law. We should delight in it, not fear it. Well, I hope this is some good food for thought for you, and I hope that uh, as you consider what happens in the political realm, you'll understand that we have a God who is sovereign, who directs these things in a way that we don't know. And maybe we can't understand all of it, but we can certainly trust him. May you be blessed as you consider these truths.